welcome to the first ever episode 17 of our podcast, Fintech Insider. My name is David Breer, and as always, we're coming to you live from London in the heart of Fintech up here in Level 39. And this is our first episode devoted specifically to insider interviews. We've been having so many amazing conversations with Fintech influencers, we decided to dedicate a specific podcast each week so you can listen in. Today, you'll hear from two insurtech influencers disrupting the insurance world. We have Matilda Strom, Deputy CEO at Bimmer, who is using mobile to deliver affordable insurance to millions of low-income consumers in emerging markets. And we've also brought back Freddie McNamara from episode 16, who is the founder and CEO of a company called Cover, whose app lets you buy car insurance for as little as an hour. Now over to Jason to talk a little bit more to Freddie. So, Freddie, it'd be great to hear a little bit more about your story, a bit more about Cover, how it started, how you got into this, and and really how it's going, I guess. Should we start with talking a little bit about Cover? Yeah, well, so I didn't set out to found an insure tech business. It was uh, very similar to the founding of your company. Uh, It was a a pub moment uh, where I was sitting there with my co-founder, complaining to him that I wasn't able to borrow his car that weekend because I wanted to take it off. And uh, it would involve this rigmarole with his insurer. Now, he probably was using it as an excuse for me not to borrow his car. But uh, I said, I've always thought that you should be able to buy an hour of car insurance and it shouldn't take that long. What are the technical barriers here? And uh, we sort of turned it into a a project. He was working at a bank and I was working at my my last startup uh, so we weren't we weren't being too serious about it but we quickly got quite a lot more serious about it because we saw a really really strong pain point we saw people people saying you know every time we took spoke to customers saying like we want this we need this we thought well we could build we could we could build this feature um, and the initial plan was to Build a nice shiny iOS app uh-huh. and connect to industry APIs. Right, uh-huh. they've got to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, all we need to do is go and persuade a distributor to go and persuade one of their uh, insurance companies that an hour of con- car insurance is is a good idea, and uh, and then we can build build an app to do it, and we, we can sort of raise a bit of money and become a bit of a marketing machine, sure, and solve lots and lots of people's problems that they face. You know reasonably regularly but I take it it wasn't that easy oh my god <laughs> so uh, the, the first the first part of the process was neither of us coming from an insurance background was trying to understand how the insurance market worked and so we spent about a year it wasn't as we didn't intend to spend a year it just took that long interviewing senior motor underwriters at uh, different companies uh, incidentally, now that I go to conferences, now that they, uh, uh, I often meet other underwriters from from those insurance companies, and I say, "Oh, we pitched this, we pitched cover to so and so," and they go, "I'm going to go and have a word," <laughs> because the, the the mindset of the industry has changed completely over the last two years. So, I, I guess for for listeners who aren't familiar with insurance, could you give like a a, a one minute, two minute primer on? How is this thing structured? Well, who are the players? How does it work? So, so what we found over our first year of operating was that this was an incredibly fragmented industry. And the reason that you face quite a lot of frustration purchasing an insurance company is because of the sheer number of players involved. Um, so 
when you want to buy a car insurance policy, you'll go and type in cheap car insurance to Google. Uh, it's one of the most hotly contested search terms uh, across the board. It, it costs an enormous amount to bid for. And uh, when you're high up there, you're paying, uh, you know, often 10 to 20 pounds per click to get you to your price comparison website. Um, so you end up at one of five or so price comparison websites. Yeah. That's two stakeholders already, the search engine, the price comparison website, uh, taking their pound of flesh. Uh, you enter all of the details uh, that they request in. You, it's sort of usually between 35 and 50 or so questions about yourself. Uh, and that's all the insurer has to go on to price your policy. That's every single piece of data. The uh, price comparison website will sometimes enrich that data with third-party data sources, but not all the time. And what people don't tend to understand is that price comparison websites aren't actually the guys doing all the heavy lifting. There are a set of intermediate companies uh, in the middle who actually do all the technical heavy lifting called software houses. And uh, software houses will in intermediate the data flow between brokers, underwriters, and the price comparison websites. Okay. As an underwriter, you will, you will either sell your product direct, but it's not direct. You go through a software house to a price comparison website, or you'll sell it indirectly through a network of brokers. Uh -huh. Often brokers will rebroke policies to each other. So you have this enormous network sitting behind you. And pricing will be provided to the price comparison websites by the underwriters, but will be hosted by a software house. Okay. And the only way that your price will appear on a price comparison website if you're an underwriter is if you have done a uh, deal with a software house to put your pricing there uh, and then a subsequent deal with the price comparison website to become listed on their website. Um, and there is just no way that anyone can get in the middle of this. So when we when we w walked up to these guys and said, okay, right, look, we've got a really interesting innovation here, an hour of car insurance so you can borrow a friend's car. It's taking all of this friction out. We can do it like this. We can control fraud like this. We're really excited. And they, they're like, well, you're going to have to integrate with us. <laughs> We're like, okay, fine. That's what we wanted to do. And then we found out how, about, about how the pricing model works for all of this. And essentially, the software houses sit in the middle and charge every time there's an electronic communication between an underwriter, a broker, a software, uh, another software house, or a price comparison website. And then they, then they charge if you want to enrich with third-party data. So right. if you want to go to the DVLA to look up a vehicle, that'll be 50p. Or if you want to go and make sure that that customer that's being priced hasn't been involved in a lot of fraudulent activity, that'll be another price. So that's uh, whether or not the end customer ends up buying that insurance. Uh, yeah, often often it's per quote that the price will uh, the, the charges will rack up. Software houses will then also charge a, a percentage of the volume that goes through, so a percentage of the premium that between sort of half a percent to two percent. Depending, wow. on, depending on what you're selling. And then there'll be fixed fees per policy. And it came out that it was going to cost more than the price that we were hoping to sell it for just to distribute through this network. So we're like, well, this is just not going to work. So we went back to the drawing board. 
<laughs> so how long did that process take? Or- so that entire process of realization and discovery and naivety lifting took a took a took a year. Wow. Um, uh, and we either had two two options. We had two options. One, we could we could give up and uh, later rest our dream of. Well, were you still working at your previous startup? I I, I, I was I was working at my previous startup until until that year had ended and until we decided. Or we could work out a way to build what we needed to build in order to distribute in our car insurance. And what we ended up doing is building a combination of a software house, a broker, and a price comparison website all into one layer. So we can integrate directly with the underwriters. So it goes customer, cover, underwriter. And there are no other intermediaries. We were also able to go and ring up all of those third-party data suppliers and say, could we have a direct connection, please? Uh-huh. And they'd sort of go, uh, I don't know. And they'd go and blow the dust off their sort of connection books. Yeah. And uh, and we'd be able to connect directly to those APIs so that when you come to, come to me as a customer, we can go and enrich all of that data, often for free, but if not for free, nearly free. So that sounds like quite a project and quite a platform to build uh was that dirt on faith you know had you sold any any product had you built the front-end interface had you got customers before deciding you were going to integrate to build this this platform so we talked to a lot of customers and we were relatively sure that they wanted to buy hourly car insurance and so we tried to de-risk it as much as you can do in it in advance uh at the end of the day we didn't know that what we were building would be incredibly successful, but we were we were lucky in that there is a comparable market already out there. There is a market for temporary insurance. Uh-huh. Uh, you can buy a day to a month, and it's very similar to uh, buying an uh, buying a year of car insurance. Similar buying process. So um, we could we could hypothesize that if we make this user experience, if the only thing we do is make the user experience 10 to 100 times better, <laughs> then we can still create a business out of that. So that sort of helped us de-risk. And so um, how long did that did the building process take? So that took another year. <laughs> <laughs> James, my uh, co-founder, and I uh, got an office in an incubator called uh-huh. Codebase uh-huh. in Edinburgh. And uh, we uh, hired a couple of contractors, uh, raised a small seed round and we put our heads down and thought right what does the perfect insurance distribution platform look like uh, and we made a point of just not talking to any uh, industry veterans about how it was done so that we could start from first principles and what we've ended up with is a system where the customer is uh, the defining feature of the database rather than the policy which is actually Quite a, it sounds like a small change, but actually it's really, really important because unless you have a customer with a load of relational data points that you know show their history of policies and the cars that they've been associated with and all of these other factors, you, you, you can't treat them as a customer. When you buy a policy through a price comparison website, you're treated as a policy right. with a load of attributes. This is the excess, this is the car, this is the, the human. Yeah. Uh, which means that next time you come to buy a policy, hello again, it's like a goldfish swimming around in a bowl. That's uh-huh. <laughs> a four-second memory from the insurer. You're a completely new person. Uh, and so that's, that, that's where we ended up at. Uh, uh, two years later, we ended up with an app 
a front-end app that uh, MVP iOS uh, that sort of kind of worked and a platform that worked quite well uh, distributing insurance and we threw open the doors yeah how, how does that process work how do you how did you get your first you know hundred customers couple of hundred customers um, so we guinea pigged a lot of people friends like uh, during that process we'd also got our full regulatory authorization as well with the help of the innovation hub who, who were great and we didn't we didn't want to fling open the doors and have millions of people because we'd yet to scale the support processes that uh, were required in the background. So uh, uh, we started pretty small, uh, you know, a a few policies a month Uh and worked through the kinks, worked through where everyone uh, was having problems, where they weren't having problems. It's a new type of insurance. uh, So a lot of questions that need to be answered in people's minds. And a lot of that's done through UX. A lot of that's done through messaging. Um, and we were essentially learning how to sell insurance. Again, that nobody on the team had had direct insurance sales experience. We have risk and compliance officers and a great board who have um, uh, very deep, uh, deep industry knowledge. But we we really wanted to start from scratch and work out how to solve the customers' problems every day. And so, where are you? Where are you at now? What, what kind of customer business do you? Uh, do you so. So uh, we're, we're in the tens of thousands okay. of, uh, of, of people using the product. Um, uh, and uh, I think we sold, uh, I think in the last six months, just under 100,000 hours of, uh, of cover. Um, uh, and, uh, and we're growing great guns. We've been growing about 30% month on month since we launched, um, which is uh, quite... Uh, Quite a, quite a growth curve once it starts compounding. We joined the Techstars, the Barclays Techstars Accelerator yeah. in January. And uh, it was part of that where we partnered with Swiss Re. So uh, we act, we technically re- we're regulated as an intermediary, which is essentially a broker, but we act much more like an MGA. So the difference between an MGA and a broker is a, a broker will act purely on behalf of the customer. They will completely ignore the insurer's interests and try and pump volume right. to try, try and pump volu- volume of sales to that insurer whereas an MGA will go right I want to I want to protect the book of the insurer so that we're, we're both in this together okay. so what we do is we very carefully select uh, select the risks that we're willing to we're willing to price so that the insurer's book is protected so that we can then demonstrate in the future that you know, we're a better option both for the insurer and for the customer I saw uh, reading a little bit about you before before we met uh, that you use the DVLA API, yeah, uh, which seems like a really kind of novel, interesting way of of getting that data as an early starter. Yeah. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? So um, that was not some grand strategy. That was complete luck. Uh, that at exactly the same time as we were sitting down, going, "How on earth are we going to validate people are who they say they are." The DVLA came out and said, here you go, guys. <laughs> uh, it's called the My License Service. And what it lets us do is uh, when you sign up for cover, you take a uh, you take a selfie, you take a picture of your driving license, and crucially, you enter the details on your driving license. Uh, when you hit go, we then, go, we, we then hit the, uh, the My License API, and we get um, really securely um, uh, all of the information that's on your driving license. Uh, stored with the DVLA so that's 
know what cars are you uh, you entitled to drive how long have you had your license what sort of license is it is it provisional or full and uh, it actually goes slightly further so we can see um, no humans can actually see this it's just sure. the machines but we can see um, how many points you have on your license and we can use all of that information to populate our rating models uh -huh. so that you don't have to go through that rigmarole of typing in all, all of these details uh -huh. now what you might ask me is why on earth do I still have to type them in to my price comparison websites when I buy an annual insurance policy? Uh -huh. Well, the reason is, uh, and it's a sort of symptom of the, uh, the the fragmented distribution that I was explaining at the beginning, uh, in order for that to work, you'd have to have the uh, buy-in from all of these different distributors, the software houses, the brokers, the price comparison websites, all lining up at once. Right. And it's really, really difficult to get that, especially when there are there are other incentives in play. So price comparison websites get paid when you sell an insurance policy. Right. So why on earth are they going to put in a layer that says, we're going to filter out all of these people? Right. <laughs> it's completely at odds with their own interests. Okay. Uh, but it, it leaves a huge advantage on the table for the startups to move nimbly and come in and access these data sources and say, right, well, we're, we're actually going to take the, the hit on volume because we want to preserve the book and you know there's value down the line for doing that. So where's where's Cover going to go? Uh, you know, are you would you stick to car insurance in the UK or are there grander plans of, of what's next? So the UK car insurance market is eleven billion pounds, okay. and uh, almost every year for the last twenty years it's made a loss. Um, and so there's this huge tax on the economy, and we think we think that there are segments within that market where people are being really horribly mispriced. And so our uh, our first product, Cover Hourly, gives you sort of the freedom to borrow somebody else's car really quickly uh, in a couple of taps. Uh, our, the, pro the product that we are uh, going live with in partnership with Swiss Re, um, actually we're moving in with them <laughs> in, uh, in <laughs> well, December. Do you get a draw? <laughs> uh, they have a very shiny building. Is, uh, it's called Cover Flexi, and that's for you and your car. So uh, you can pay us a subscription uh, every month, which is about 70%, yeah. uh, sorry, 30% of your annual insurance policy, what, we, what you should expect. Okay. So we can save you 70%. If you don't drive very often, okay. So that 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 monthly subscription allows your car to sit fully insured on the side of the road, and then when you actually want to drive it, uh, you buy a few hours or a couple of days of insurance, so you can zoom off for the weekend. So, is there sort of a uh, a tipping point where you know uh, at what point does it become worth buying the year's insurance versus the like by the day how many days would i have to drive it varies person by person but okay. it's about 16 hours a month we think okay uh, and so for most people who live in or around a city and commute in by train uh, and don't have a child that they're taking to school yeah. uh, millions of cars fall into that fall into that category uh, and they're a really interesting category because they are massively overpaying for their car insurance. And the effect of that is that they're subsidizing everybody who does drive to drive around a crash. Right. Uh, so, uh, so everybody, uh, the, the people who drive often, their, their, um, their insurance is actually underpriced and these people's insurance is overpriced. So we think we can correct that balance. So you've been in this for how many years now? 
So I've been, I'm a two year, two and a half year insurance veteran. Wow. Um, I, I, I guess looking back, what, what, are, what are the kind of key lessons or what are the things you wish you'd have known earlier? I'd, I'd say uh, try and try and get something out there a little bit quicker okay. um, rather than sitting around and making sure everything's working. Obviously, we're a regulated business, so sure. uh, it's got to mostly work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, I think really explore the, uh, the, the business model pro- uh, you know, re- really in depth in advance. W- what we did was we had a, a singular vision. I essentially willed hourly car insurance into existence. Uh, and I think we could have been a little bit more flexible uh, on the way in because there are probably other opportunities we could have encompassed. That's amazing. Uh, where can people find out about Cover and get their hourly car insurance? Well, uh, you could go to www.cover.com. It's spelled C-U-V-V-A because we're very trendy. Uh, and uh, you can uh, you can sign up for the waiting list for a flexi policy, or you can go and buy an hour of car insurance right now. Perfect, Freddie. Thanks very much for uh, for coming in and talking to us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much, Jason. Awesome. Thanks very much for the great insights, Freddie. I'm not sure I'm quite ready to let my neighbour drive my car just yet. Now I'll hand over to Simon and Mathilda. So I'm here with uh, Matilda from an organization called Beamer, who we think is very interesting from an insure tech standpoint. Uh, Matilda, hello. Hello. Hi, Simon. Uh, nice to have you with us. Uh, Matilda, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into your organization. Yes. So my name is Matilda Strom. I'm the deputy CEO of Beamer. I've been with the company pretty much from the beginning. So one of the sort of few founding members. Uh, prior to this, I was a consultant working across telco and media and technology uh, in London, but did a lot of work with mobile operators in Africa. Uh, I'm originally from Sweden. Fantastic. And um, so that's um, an interesting telecoms background. We'll, we'll come back to that, I'm sure, as, as you talk us a little bit about uh, what is Beamo um, and you know, sort of who are its target customers, where does it operate, all, all that kind of good stuff. Yes. So Beamo is a company that sells insurance products, that's life, health and accident insurance products to low income families in emerging markets using mobile technology and a physical network of agents to go out and sell the product. Um, How this works is we typically partner with mobile operators and insurance companies to sell the service. The services that we provide within that partnership are product development, a technology platform, a physical distribution network of agents who sell the service, and a claims administration. That's excellent. Um, and so tell me a little bit about um, how you scale an organization like this. Um, you, know, it's, you have an agent force, um, you have an insurance company and an M&O. Uh, it seems like you guys are, are stitching a lot together, but the, the human element of this seems really, really key. That's right. So the key thing, there's it's actually a combination of technology and the human element. So right, only 3% of the populations in Africa Asia, Latin America have insurance today. So we're dealing with a completely fresh group of people who don't actually typically know what insurance is. Um, And these people typically are living under $10 a day. They don't have a bank account, but they all have a mobile phone. So the way to actually scale this service is number one, to use technology to remove 
the barriers that, and complexities that today exist within finan delivering financial services. And those are within the registration side of things and within the payment side of things. And I'll go into that a little bit more in detail after I go through the other things. The other barriers are um, education and awareness. So as I mentioned, these people have never really heard of what insurance is. And technology really isn't enough to bridge that gap. You really need to have people on the streets talking to people and answering you know, the complicated questions about insurance, like when do I get my money back? Or what happens if I don't die? And things that are sort of fundamental um, understanding points of what insurance actually is. So if we kind of think back to how we scale, the technology side is extremely important to make the scale efficiently. So on the registration side of things, today, even in the UK or in the US, you're signing a lot of documents, you're doing health checks. There's a lot of paperwork and identification that needs to be provided in, uh, in order to register for an insurance policy. This doesn't work if you want to be registering you know, 500,000 people every month. In order to enable us to, do, to get this scale, what we've done is simplified a registration process down to answering five simple questions on a mobile phone. So that's you know, everything from the person's name to their age and a beneficiary name and age. And then they're registered. They can do this on a basic 2G phone and they can be registering themselves on the spot for an insurance product. The second part of this is about the payment channel. So one of the massive barriers in emerging markets to insurance companies reaching the mass market is that less than 10% of people have a bank account. How are you going to efficiently collect payment from these people if they can't pay you uh, an annual upfront premium? They can't afford even a 10 or 15 or $20 premium upfront. You have to be collecting installments. Yeah, I mean, micro insurance, the way to do that, really, the only sort of alternative digital payment channel that exists is the mobile top-up. So these people who don't have a bank account are actually converting their cash into a digital currency, which is their, their pay-as-you-go credit. And in order for us to be able to take payment on a daily basis, we actually use that top-up in order to take the payment. So people can are paying, on average, two cents every day that we're deducting automatically from their accounts in order to make this work. So really, that, that technology element, which allows us to efficiently register a huge number of customers and take payment from them in micro installments. That's very interesting that um, you've got a tech platform there that's talking to uh, the way in which people deal with their money on a daily basis, um, that talks to a lot of mobile network operators, that talks to a lot of insurance companies. Um, but in the middle of it all is, is really that human element. And I can see that you know, 61% of these are urban. Um, there's a daily income level here that is, you know, uh, somewhere between one and a half and, and ten dollars for for the uh, overwhelming majority of of your customer base. So taking a couple of cents per day is is something that it does seem quite reasonable compared to some of the premiums you might expect. Um, talk to me about uh, some some markets you've entered recently and, and what the sign-up rates look like. I can see here that uh, it, there's, a, there's, there's 12 months you spent in Ghana and Bangladesh, I think, was um, M-Health products? Yes, so I mean, we're in 16 markets today across Africa, Asia, and Latin America, and we've reached 24 million subscribers over the last five years since we originally launched. Now the business is growing at around 500,000 subscribers every month. And if we take an example of a product, uh, we, a market we recently launched, 
I would take an example, for example, of Pakistan. Um, so one year ago, we launched in Pakistan together with an operator called Warid and an insurance company called Alfala. Uh, and we launched an accident product where a, a person could uh, sign up for an accident insurance policy, which lasts for one month, but we deduct every day, uh, one cent per day. So the lowest price point is around 30 cents a month. And we deduct one cent a day from their balance and they can get an accident cover um, of three to five thousand dollars for for that amount um, and in terms of how that's gone so we've actually scaled up to about 200 250 agents um, in that market and they are both in the streets uh, talking to market stall um, owners talking to people on the street corners who are going about their daily business and also sitting in call centers and doing outbound sales to, to people, explaining the concept of insurance and then helping them to register for the, for the product. Oh, wow. Um, so you've really got a mixture there again of that, that tech and, uh, and, and human footprint. Uh, so, so can you put a human face on some of this? Can you give me an example of where one of these products has you know, really helped somebody or, or just work us through you know, the, the before and after um, when this platform isn't in a market versus when it is? Absolutely. So the, the key thing for us is the claims payments. If claims aren't paid, then these people don't see value in the product and they won't continue to subscribe and they don't have, have to continue to subscribe because it's only a monthly product. So that's why we're involved in the claims aspect of this. And we sit in between the customer and the insurance company to ensure that more claims are paid than are rejected and that they're paid within three working days of receiving the documentation. So one example is uh, about a year ago, we paid out a claim to a woman in Pakistan on this accident product that I was talking about. Um, she has four children and she lost her husband in a tragic drive-by shooting. and she then received within two days of giving the death certificate of her husband to us, she received $3,000 from Bima um, as a claims payout. And she was then able to send her eldest son to graduate school and then have enough money left over that she could support the rest of her children for up to two years in salary that her husband would otherwise have been able to contribute to the family. So. Wow. This really does make a massive impact on the lives of the people that we that we're serving. And, and I think there's something huge there about when somebody's never dealt with um, an insurance product before, the credibility of um, knowing people or seeing for firsthand that these claims are being paid out and, and your involvement in that makes, I guess, a, a, a real, real difference. I, I'm curious as to, you know, kind of like the the, the key demographics here um, you know are you finding that um, you, you know your example there of of, uh, of a woman taking it up and you know really being able to look after a family what, what are the age ranges here and and where are these people coming from because um, trying to really get a feel for you know, you've got a, a 2g phone and uh, you're working with an insurance product for the first time who, who are your customers so our customers, if we take a rough average across all of our markets, are actually skewed typically male, urban, and young, so between 18 and 35. Um, this depends a lot per market. So uh, actually in some of our South Asian countries, there, there are very few women on the product. So there are, in some cases, 10% or less of our subscribers are women in the South Asian markets. 
whereas in Africa, that number goes up to more like 30%, and in Latin America, it goes up to 40 or 50% of our subscribers. And we're really working heavily on now, how do we reach more women in these markets where potentially culturally those women may not have access to a phone or have access to the decision-making power to be able to decide what they, what they should spend their money on or what they should spend the, the household's money on. That's super, super helpful to them, I would imagine, and kind of really driving decision-making and, and helping decision-making uh, is absolutely critical. I think your point around the literacy of not only the financial product, but also then uh, working with that um, financial literacy and, and kind of creating that behavior change and creating that uh, sustainable life change is, is, is really, really important. It, it seems that you guys are still very much a startup. You, know, you kind of raised some funding recently. You know, how many people work in your organization and, and, and where are you at in your journey? So we have 3,500 people currently working for us. So the majority of those are our sales force because we hire them and manage them full time. We are, as I said, across 16 countries. Uh, so we don't feel so small anymore. This is becoming a multinational company. But we are still very, very lean at the global level. So we have at the moment three global headquarters that are Stockholm, London, and Singapore. But you know, we are a handful of people in each of those offices trying to manage across all of these 16 markets. And in each one of the countries, I would say we start very lean as well. We start with a country manager, a CEO, and we build up our agent force and our management team over time in those countries. So some of our more mature markets have, have very big teams and very big management teams, and some of our less mature markets are sort of building towards that as, as we speak. Oh, that makes total sense. Well, listen, Matilda, um, I think our time has now run short. So let me just uh, thank you very much for sharing your insights and experience with us. If people want to learn more about Beamer, where can they, where can they find out more? So you can go to our website, which is www.bimamobile.com um, and uh, look us up on, on Google. I think you'll see that we've, we've got a number of videos also on YouTube that you can take a look at that'll give you a good idea of how our agents work and how they sell in the street. Cool. So that's B-I-M-A.com, Bima.com. No, B-I-M-A mobile, M-O-B-I-L-E.com. All right, brilliant. It's always worth spelling things out when somebody's listening to a podcast. Um, I've uh, made that mistake too many times. Matilda, mm -hmm. it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you very much, Simon. Thanks again to Freddie and Matilda for sitting down with us this week. I hope you enjoyed it. The 11FS gang are back together in a few days looking to debrief on all the happenings at Money 2020. Please keep those Fintech Insider reviews and comments coming. We love hearing from you. You can follow us on Twitter at Fintech Insiders. That's everything for this week. Talk to you soon.